by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. That is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We are privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. Each week we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday, an opportunity to review God's Word, to see the theme of the day, and to prepare our minds and our hearts and our souls for receiving the Word of God that has been set aside for us on this particular day. The one that we proclaim is the one and only Savior from sin who has lived, died, risen from the dead once and for all for the life of the world, forgiveness, life, and salvation in and only in Jesus Christ. We do this with the one-year series of readings from Lutheran Service Book, Today, we're going to look at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. Pastor, welcome once again. Good to be here. Yeah, good morning. It is, uh, yeah, and I don't know if people are hearing this in the morning or afternoon or evening, but we are recording this in the morning, and uh, we also have our short-time vicar. I think this might be the last time, vicar, when uh, you are here solo with us recording, because I think by the time we uh, record again, we'll have an almost Vicar, Vicar wannabe, uh, Vicar Golden, that will probably be joining us. I don't know if we'll let him talk or not, but uh, he'll probably be joining us after today. So uh, it's been a good year, and uh, you're two-thirds of the way through with your uh, Vicar Bader farewell tour, so it'll be great to have you in God's house on the day when we actually read and expound these particular readings. So, fifth Sunday after Trinity, the introit is a portion of Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Vicar, take it away. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. O you who have been my help, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. That seems to be kind of a major theme throughout all the pages of Scripture, Pastor. 
what kind of waiting are we talking about? You know, we seem to be a pretty impatient kind of a people. What uh, what waiting is God talking about here in Psalm 27? Yeah, it's one of those particular words from the Lord that I like to remind people of in the hospital when they're they're healing or they're waiting for surgery or uh, sometimes even when they're waiting to die. Uh, we do all sorts of waiting for God. Uh, to act. We're waiting for him to return with power and glory and bring this world to its end. We're waiting for him to uh, take us out of this world and deliver us from evil into uh, the world of peace and comfort and joy, which will happen uh, at the end of our lives. We're waiting for him to reveal whether or not he's going to heal a sick person or not. We're waiting uh, for his um, his actions uh, in all sorts of different ways. Um, but in all the things, our trust tells us that he will act for our good um, and for the uh, salvation of our souls and uh, even our bodies uh, in the end of our life. And so it's waiting uh, for God to fulfill his promises in that regard. The waiting theme in the life of a Christian, waiting for God to fulfill his promises, um, really kind of sums up how we live our life and vicar the life of a christian is sometimes summed up with the phrase now and not yet that we have the word of god we have the promises of god fulfilled now and we have the word of god and we have the promises of god not yet how does that now not yet understanding tie into what pastor moline just said about the waiting of a christian well, the now, not yet definitely applies to us who have been baptized. Uh, we explain this in Luther's small catechism that being baptized, all of our sins have been completely and totally washed away, completely and totally forgiven. And yet that old sinful Adam, that old sinful Eve still clings to our flesh and daily we sin. And so our sins have been completely and totally forgiven. We know that by the word of God. And yet... We still struggle with sin, and we will struggle with sin until our last day. And the same thing holds true for eternal life and salvation. We know the words and promises of God that because Jesus has died and risen again, our sins are forgiven, and we have eternal life with Christ. That We have that promise right here, right now, and yet we have not fully experienced it yet. That day will come either on the day which we die or the day when Christ comes again for the final judgment in glory. And so we, we really push and, and reflect on this theme of uh, the waiting and the now and not yet when we get to the end of the church year and when we have the beginning of the church year in Advent. But really, it's all throughout the Scripture. It's all throughout the life of a Christian. So, Pastor, while we are waiting for the Lord, for the consummation of all the promises, for God to deliver us from evil and take us to our heavenly home, we live in a sin-filled world. We are attacked and assailed by the devil, and the devil's uh, great uh, tools, the world and our sinful flesh. And we have all these action words with regard to what we want God to do. Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. Answer me. You've been my help 
Forsake me not. Teach me your way. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. All these things that we are asking God to do. So, Pastor, do we have to worry or doubt that God will do these things? Do we have to manipulate him or coerce him or trick him into doing these things for us? Why are we crying out for God to do what it appears to me he's already promised he will do? Well, um, you're exactly right. God remembers all of his promises and he works them uh the place where the challenge is for us is that he does so at his own time and for his own purposes, uh, not according to our times and purposes. And so we do remind God of his promises. God likes to be reminded of his promises, uh, but it's also done then for our own selves that we might realize what he's promising to do and that we would ask him to keep those promises. Uh, it reminds me of the basically the whole Old Testament where it begins with God promising that um, one of the offspring of Eve will crush the serpent's head um, and all that goes with that. And then what's he do for the next, oh, I don't know, two and a half, three, four thousand years? He works through lots of sinful people and lots of challenges and difficulties and good times too uh, to bring about the thing that he's promised. But it it isn't um, immediately carried out. In fact, I think that's part of the challenge with Cain and Abel. Cain thought he was the one, uh, and he wasn't. And so the prayers that we have to God are as much for us to realize what his promises are uh, so that we might look for them to be fulfilled uh, as, as they are to remind God of what he's promised to do. In the midst of all these promises that we have from God, Sometimes these promises seem to be a pipe dream. They seem to be far away. They seem to be elusive. Exactly the opposite of what we see, hear, feel, and experience. And yet God's word trumps what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we experience. And so God constantly has to remind us of what those promises are. And while we wait for the consummation and for the fulfillment of these promises, God promises to give us strength. And he loves it when we, as you said, uh, reflect back to him the very promises that he has made. Probably the most famous part of Psalm 27 and uh, the most familiar words here in our introit, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Vicar, how is God my light and my salvation? Well, God is our light because he has revealed to us who he is through his word. He has literally opened our eyes so that we can see, hear, and believe that he is the true God of heaven and earth, that he has sent his son to live, die, and rise again for us. And therefore, he not only is our light who has opened our eyes and our ears to through the hearing of the word, but he is our salvation because he has given us faith to believe that those words and promises of God are true and have been fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so whom shall I fear? Well, all of our enemies have already been destroyed through this. God is our salvation. The victory has been won over sin, death, and the devil. And therefore, we no longer have to fear these enemies of ours, these old ancient foes. 
and yet this also is a now-not-yet scenario. We know that these enemies have been totally defeated, and yet we still wrestle with them during our earthly lives here today of sin, the world, and the devil continually attacking us. Pastor, are these real enemies that uh, are out to attack us? Is this uh, fear that we so often have as a Christian, is this real fear, legitimate fear, or is this something that we have kind of created on our own to make us feel good about clinging to some far away or even mythic God? How, do, how does this work? Well, um, the fears that we have in this world are real insofar as I don't want you to be um, unafraid of what sin might do to you. You know, um, it might really hurt you and harm you in this world, and yet they're only temporary. We don't fear the ones who can hurt and kill the body here in this world. We fear the one who could throw our soul in hell forever, and so... We might be afraid of things here in the world, temporally speaking, and for now, and they could hurt us, temporally speaking, and now. But we also know that God's promises are real, in fact, more real than these these things, because God's promises last forever, and the fears are but fleeting. And so um, we, we face the fears now and here, knowing that what is to come is far better than we can possibly imagine in that regard. Keep that fear thought in mind as we come back from our break and we look at the gospel reading from Luke 5, 1 to 11. Fear is real. God takes away our fear in and through Jesus. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. We, uh, In our first segment, we looked at the introit, selected verses from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I said, uh, keep that fear thought and understanding because we have a little fear going on in our gospel reading, Luke 5, 1 to 11. What kind of fear is it? Uh, We spent our entire break time talking about that and uh, wrestling with the kind of fear that is uh, displayed here in our text, the kind of fear that is a good fear, that is a God-pleasing fear, that is an honor and respect fear. And this is a very, very complex topic that uh, it's one of uh, Pastor Moline's uh, favorite topics to uh, to talk about and discuss. And we want to at least scratch the surface on that here. But before we uh, talk any more about that, Vicar, let's hear that gospel reading for the fifth Sunday after Trinity, Luke 5, 1 to 11. Oh, by the way, let's go fishing. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, uh, the temptation is uh, to use this text as a stewardship text, and uh, if you are really, really, really committed to following Jesus, then you better leave everything or uh, <clears throat> give everything. See, this is how God's Word is abused and misused, and uh, it's just uh, uh, horrific uh, when we see those kind of temptations and abuses. There's really, in my mind, there's really two major things that are going on here. And uh, I think the primary one for me, as it ties in with our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings 19, is the power of the word of God. At your word, Peter says, I will let down my nets. You don't know anything about fishing, Jesus. Uh, you know, we're the experts, you're a carpenter, uh, but at your word, I'll do it. And the word of God produces the large catch of fish, which produces in Peter fear. In our, mm-hmm. uh, in our um, uh, introit, we had, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And we have this account that sounds strangely familiar. It's like, I've heard this before. And we can't help but think back to Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6. And woe is me, I'm a man of sinful lips, and I come from a people of sinful lips, and all this kind of thing that's going on. Peter says in Luke 5, verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. And then there's a little bit of an interlude there talking about uh, James and John were also astonished at the catch of fish. And how do we know that Peter is afraid? Because Jesus says so. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. So, Pastor, how is this account with uh, Peter saying, uh, you know, get away from me? and depart from me, and Jesus saying, don't be afraid. How is this similar to the confession and absolution that God gives to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? Well, it's it's similar because it all stems from the identity of God. Isaiah is in terror because God is God, the one who can create all things, bring them into existence, and also by the power of his word, uh, take them out of existence, or um, he's the one who gives food or takes away food and famine, all these things. God is God, 
And uh, when you realize that and acknowledge it, and when you're standing right in front of them, you have no choice but to do so, uh, that is a little terrifying. And then we also have a word from God uh, in both cases that points them to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ earned on the cross and says, here's how your fear and uh, um, terror at God is turned into a healthy fear and awe and reverence of God. And I think to understand how that happens in this text, we have to go all the way back and even watch the development within Peter as the text goes about, um, Jesus preaches a sermon from the boat to the people on shore. And, of course, Peter heard that as well. And then Jesus says, go drop your nuts, nets out here. Um, and uh, when Peter says that to Jesus, he calls him master. The word there in the Greek is uh, kind of interesting to take a look at. It's epistata, which means master, commander, captain of the boat, or something like that sort of idea. And he says that, yeah, okay, master, we've uh, toiled all night, but we haven't taken anything. But since your word has said this, I'll let down my nets. He catches the fish then. He changes the word. He's no longer calling him epistata, but now he calls him courier, uh, which is lord, which is the Old Testament name of God. It's an acknowledgement of the identity of Jesus as the God of the Old Testament, even though Peter still doesn't quite understand all the implications or how that means things. And when he realizes who Jesus is, God and man together, uh, he has that faith in there, and that's the terror then that comes about because he hasn't got the fullness of the picture and the forgiveness that's going to come through this man, God, uh, Jesus on the cross. There, uh, uh, There is... Uh, a continuing uh, and and uh, spot on with everything you said. I think there's another connection with Peter and Isaiah because Isaiah six is the call of Isaiah to be a proclaimer of the word of God. You know, uh, to continue on with this proclamation of both law and gospel, and we see here at the end of uh, Luke. Uh, 5 uh, verse 11 that Jesus says you know don't be afraid from now on you will be catching men and so this is the uh, the the call the ordination uh, installation uh, you know however you want to you want to do it so we have a similar situation too we have this terror and fear at the awe and presence of God we see the real uh, revelation of God. God is for us, not against us. And then we see the call of God to go and proclaim this life-giving, life-changing message to the yeah. world. Is that is that a fair connection as well? It definitely well? is, and that's uh, the next step to take this particular gospel reading then. And I would take it back then to Jeremiah sixteen sixteen, where God foretells um, that... Um, we, we knew he was going to get Jeremiah we, yep, 16 we were gonna in get here, there. folks. He's talking about the people of Israel, uh, and 15, Jeremiah sixteen fifteen says, As the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt for them on every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks, which then also brings us to our Old Testament lesson. Uh, for my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. 
But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin. This happens in Jesus, uh, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and filled my inheritance with their abominations. So when Jesus gives his word, let down the nets, what's the result of the word? Peter then catches all these fish. And now Jesus is bringing him into the office of the holy ministry and saying, you're not going to fish for fish anymore, Peter. You're going to fish for people. What's the way that Peter's going to catch people and bring them into the church? Through the word. The exact same way that Jesus has brought fish into the boat is the same way that Peter will bring people into the church. And we then have this picture of the church as the ark or the boat uh, through which carries us over the uh, uh, the deluge of sin and, and difficulties and challenges. And so all sorts of things that we can bring to the forefront with this particular gospel lesson that uh, bring us back to the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's amazing to me, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, back in the day when Jesus is teaching this uh, uh, example, the power and the miraculous catch of fish, uh, there was no such thing as catch and release. You went fishing because you wanted the fish to eat or to sell. There was no sport fishing or anything like that. No trophies hanging on the wall. This is a matter of life and death. So you catch the fish, and after you catch the fish, you kill the fish and eat it. All right? And uh, to connect back to your Jeremiah 16 passage, uh, there is no such thing as hunt and release. You You kill an animal, it's dead. You know, you either waste it or you eat it. That's why you do it. And so now the net of the gospel and the power of the word catches people who are already dead in the trespasses of their sin and makes them alive in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just love it when we have these uh, these uh, great exchange, these uh uh, things that get flipped on and great reversal kind of themes. And I think that's one that so often goes missing in this uh, miraculous catch of fish thing here that's going on. Now, when we come, oh, go ahead. What's the thing that does the catching? I mean, just to bring that home one more time, it's it's the word of Jesus. It's it's uh, how well I construct the net. It's uh, how pretty the net is. It's Of course it's not. It's the power of the word. And when we come back from our break, that's where we want to dwell right here is at your word. At your word. How does that connect us from the miraculous catch of fish? to who we are as Christians and what the church is about or supposed to be about, even here and even today. At your word. Keep that thought in mind. We're going to take a short break, proclaiming the one. We'll be right back.
Bringing Bach Back, Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship Sunday morning, 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages in between. Wednesday evenings year-round at 6.30. All of our services you can hear live on KNNA 95.7 LP here in and around Lincoln. And if you're just outside of our listening area, you can download the KNNA app or you can check us out listening on your computer, www.thecross957.org. Check out the archives, all of our theological programs. We also have some community programs on there. We'd love to have your feedback, and it is a privilege to be able to use the gift of radio and bring God's Word and its truth and purity into your life and into your home. Pastor, when we talked before, we said that there were really two major themes that were going on, not not separately or completely disconnected, but two major themes that are working together. We covered that first theme in uh, our last segment as we looked at our gospel reading for the fifth Sunday after Trinity, Luke 5, 1 to 11. We looked at that, that fear, that fear that Peter had when he was confronted by Jesus, the author and creator of the fish that he miraculously put in Peter's net. And we see that fear that God transforms into faith with the power of the gospel, how God calls him to be a fisher of men rather than a fisher of fish. And earlier we see Jesus preaching the word of God. That's why he got in Peter's boat to begin with. Better acoustics put out a little bit. He preaches when he's done preaching the word. Then he applies that word specifically and directly to Peter, James, and John, the fishermen who are in the boat. He says what sounds like nonsense to seasoned professional fishermen. And Peter remarkably says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, there's so much that we can unpack with regard to what's happening here, the power of the word, the importance of the word, the significance of the word. But it seems to me that we have a problem in our world today that people sometimes think of the Bible, the Word of God, like almost like a good luck charm. That if they have a Bible on their coffee table at home, doesn't matter whether they open it up or read it or not. That if they have the right snippet of Scripture at the appropriate time, it's almost like a good luck charm. And we can coerce or manipulate God to do whatever we want. So we're still in charge rather than letting God be in charge. 
Do you see that as an issue or as a problem today? And is that what's going on in our text, or is there something more? I think it is an issue and a problem today that um, people have kind of become utilitarian about it. That's not what uh, God is saying. God is saying that where the whole, where the Word is, the Holy Spirit is at work. Uh, God says that Jesus is, in fact, himself, the Word made flesh that dwells among us. And so the Word being important here is because it is the thing that connects us directly to God. God the Father spoke the Word in creation. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Holy Spirit works faith now through the Word. The Word, the Word, the Word is the connecting point between this world and the God who created it. And that's good news and gospel that's throughout this entire thing. Um, If we see God fishing for men, what's the thing that's going to bring men into the boat? We have the Word. And we have this idea then that there are two fishing boats completely full of fish to the point of sinking, That's good news for you as a hearer because God will get you with his word. Um, He won't miss you. He'll bring you into the boat. He'll bring you into the church. He'll bring you into his eternal kingdom. Um, And he'll do that through the preaching of word by uh, hunters and fishers, if you will, to go back to Jeremiah, through pastors, people who will give you the word. And the highest thing that you can do as a Christian then is to hear the word and believe it. And that highest thing that you can do uh, in, includes pastors like you and I and, and vicars. You know, if we can't listen to the word even as we preach it, if we can't believe the word by uh, studying it just like those sitting in the pew, then we're lost. Um, and so that's the biggest, most important thing in church on Sunday morning. Be in the word, hear the word, love the word, rejoice in the word, because it's that word that God is using to bring you into the faith. What my eyes see, what my ears hear, and what my heart feels tells me that the Word doesn't always work. The Word is somehow incomplete or insufficient, and I need to add something to it pretty it up, just kind of like that fishing lure that Vicar takes out trying to catch that crappie or that bluegill or that bass. And, you know, if this color doesn't work, I'll try that color. If uh, this shiny little object doesn't work, I'll put on a twister tail. And we keep adding to or subtracting from the word until we see, hear, feel, touch, taste the desired result that we have predetermined we want the word to do. This is how the church is. This is how the world is. And, I mean, aside from repent, this is terrible, this is bad, what, what can we say to a world or what can we say to an individual Christian who doesn't believe the word is sufficient, the word is powerful enough? Well, we ought to have them repent. That We ought to encourage them uh, to despair of themselves and their desires and wants and thoughts and rather just take God at his word. God's word is pretty clear about how faith is worked. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so when you say that's not enough, you're saying a different word than what God is saying, and that's sin. And you see this all the time, and I know this is where you were going with your earlier question. Um, Go on to church websites uh, around the country and see what their little welcome videos say. 
You know, other churches are boring. Well, what's that except for saying God's Word isn't enough on its own? We need to make it more exciting. Other churches, uh, you have to dress up nicely, but here you can wear whatever you want to. What's that saying? Then um, God's Word isn't enough, and your comfort in your clothing uh, is more important than God's Word. Other churches sing uh, boring hymns, and they sing all the verses. Here we do exciting music. Well, what is that besides confessing that the style or the emotional experience in the music is more important than God's Word? I'm not saying that we don't sometimes do that the same way, but what our goal ought to be is let's give them the Word, and let's give them a Word in a way that they can um, receive it with thanksgiving and a Word Uh, a way that uh, doesn't take away from the Word. I mean, everything we do in church ought to support the preaching and teaching of God's Word and not detract from it or substitute for it or take away from it. My uh, my two favorite ones, when you look at mission statements or uh, church websites, is that our church is authentic and relevant. First of all, as if God's word is ever inauthentic or irrelevant. But, I mean, think about this. If I have to tell you that what I am doing is relevant, if I have to tell you that what I'm doing is authentic, those are about the most irrelevant and inauthentic statements that you can make. People ought to come up with that on their own. And uh, it just it just seems like like such a pipe dream, Vicar. Your generation, you know, you're a young man, twenty something. Your generation seems to be looking for something real, authentic, uh, relevant. You know, all the things that we're talking about here. And, you know, I don't know if this is if this is what old people think your generation wants, if this is where your generation is at. You're getting ready to be a pastor. You're 20 something years old. How in the world can you take the words of a Bible that are 2000 years old and more and bring them in good faith to people in the 21st century? Is that enough? Do you need more? Talk to me. You're going to be a pastor, hopefully one day. It is most certainly more than enough. Uh, God's Word stands forever. God's Word always proves true. And the things that we read about, both in the Old and the New Testament, are relevant still for us here today. Uh, We hear of sin and tribulation and how God's people struggle, and guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. We still go through the same sort of things today, no matter what that is. Uh, the sins of the flesh, adultery, sins of what we speak out of our mouths, sins of hating our brothers and our sisters, all these things we still wrestle with today. Uh, maybe we have different methods of which we do them in. Maybe we sin not in person, uh, but we do it over via Facebook or text message or whatever, but sin nonetheless. And so we still need that life-saving, life-giving word of God, which proves true until the very end, to first confront us with our sin so that we might very well repent, and then also faith, which comes from the word of God to believe that our sins are forgiven. Pastor, 
we've got just a little time left in this segment. The relevance of God's word, not only in Jesus' day, but in our day and beyond. God the Father created the world through his word. And so what really is the word, the world, except for his word at work? Uh, Jesus Christ is the word made flesh who redeemed the world from all its sin so that it might be what God really wants it to be. The Holy Spirit creates faith in sinners all over the world through the word. The word is the very essence, the bottom line of what our existence is uh, if we are honest and open about what God says. And so God's word is always relevant when a person's sick. God's word can help. When a person is struggling with a, a marriage, God's word can help. When a person's depressed, God's word can help because when we have the word, we have God. And that's that's a good good thing to have around when you have a challenge or a struggle. So God's word is always relevant and saying that you're more relevant than another is foolishness and uh, not helpful for the wider church as a whole. Uh, That's a great bridge as we go into our next break. When we come back from our break, we want to look at the epistle reading for the fifth Sunday after Trinity and uh, the difference between wisdom and foolishness, 1 Corinthians 1. 18 to 25. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we looked at the introit for Trinity 5, selected portions of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? In our second segment, we looked at the gospel reading from Luke 5, 1 to 11, and we focused in on... Peter being afraid after the miraculous catch of fish and Jesus' words of absolution, do not be afraid. In our third segment, we looked also at the gospel reading, Luke 5, 1 to 11, but specifically at Jesus, the word made flesh and Peter's confession of faith at your word, Lord, I will let down the nets. So in our final segment, we want to take a look at our epistle reading. The foolishness of the world says that we have better words than the word of God. The wisdom of God seems like foolishness, but it is the power of God unto salvation. All of this is brought forward in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. Vicar? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God, through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All right, we have amazing words here uh, from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. Pastor, first of all, explain to me what the word of the cross really is. What does that mean? It, it certainly does not mean cross, where I just say the word cross. Like if I say that, it's some sort of uh, magic spell or incantation. What are, what are we referencing here for the word of the cross? Well, the word of the cross would be the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it would be the entire enchilada. Is that how we say it at the radio station? The whole, the whole enchilada. enchilada. That's the coolmanism there. And so it would be the incarnation of the second person, the Holy Trinity, in the Virgin Mary uh, on uh, March 25th at the uh, celebration of the uh, uh, Annunciation, uh, the birth of that person, the second person of the Trinity, on Christmas, uh, the entire life of that person, uh, Jesus, and the teaching and preaching that is recorded for us um, that Paul would have been preaching and teaching uh as he's doing about his missionary work, it would have been the uh, trial, the uh, sentencing, the crucifixion, the burial, and then also the resurrection um, of Jesus Christ. The entire thing is the word of the cross. And in fact, I submit to you that even that word would go back uh, and be the entire Old Testament uh, is building to and teaching about that word of the cross so that when Paul says the word of the cross, he means everything that God is telling us about Jesus uh, and his life, death, and resurrection. That's the message that he's preaching and that the world finds foolish. Um, But yet, for we who are in the faith and Christians, that message is the the way that we're saved. It's the promise of God that's fulfilled in Jesus uh, for us, for you. Uh, And that's what he's talking about. Okay, so it is, uh, I think the... uh the grammatical term is synecdoche, where it is a part for the whole. The word of the cross is everything, the prediction leading up to Jesus, his birth, his life, not just his death on the cross, but also his resurrection, his ascension, the promise of his imminent return. It is everything. And and just to bring this home one more time, I know 1 Corinthians is written while the missionary work of the early church is going on. The book of Acts says, um, it starts with the words from St. Luke says, In the last book, O Theophilus, I talked to you about all the things that Jesus began to do. And it implies then that the second book, the book of Acts, is all the things Jesus continued to do. And so that work uh, of the creation of the church is still the work of Jesus uh, and therefore also the word of the cross. Okay. Vicar, in what way is this word of the cross that we've been talking about, in what way is this word folly or foolishness to those who are perishing? Well, we believe, teach, and confess that Jesus' death on the cross defeated death. And that, to a sinner, to anybody, sounds foolish, doesn't it? How, how do you defeat something? How do you defeat death by dying? 
And yet that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He defeated death by dying a bloody death in our stead. And then death could not hold dominion over him. But three days later, he rose again from the dead and proclaims to us life and salvation in his name. And so it's also folly to those who are perishing because those who are perishing have nothing to do. Jesus has already done everything to save us from our sins, and the old sinful person does not want to believe that. Surely there's something else that we can do to be saved. There's something that we can add to these words and promises of God to save ourselves, and that's simply not the case. Now, Pastor, um, we're talking about the, the word of the cross that's being preached or proclaimed. Um the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, says that this word, this preaching, is the power of God. In what way, Vicar touched on it a little bit, in what way is the word of God and this preaching, this proclamation of the word of God, powerful? God's word is powerful because it always does whatever God says. Um, so, you know, we see that very clearly in the creation account where God said, let there be light, and there was. Uh, it'd be kind of the same way if I could say, let there be a extra large pepperoni pizza with extra cheese, and then one was piping hot sitting in front of me immediately at the time that I said it. Um, that's good news for us because God's Word says all sorts of things. God's Word says, your sins are forgiven. And when that word is spoken, whatever it says is true. God's word says, um, I wash you with water in the word and forgive you all your sins. And so in your baptism, that's true. God's word says, take and eat. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And when that word says it, it's true. We can take what God's word says to the bank every single time and know that uh, whatever that word has said is true for us and for our forgiveness in life. And so there is power in the word. And this is the whole essence of the second half of the small catechism. You go through all the different things it talks about. Uh, it's not just plain water. It's the word of God in the water. Uh, it's the word that makes the, the Lord's Supper present. All these things, the word, the word, the word. In uh, verse 21 vicar it says for since in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom if god cannot be made known or if we cannot know god by our own wisdom or our own strength how in the world does anybody ever come to faith it's simply by a gift of God. We believe, teach, and confess with the third article of the Creed says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength, wisdom would go in there, uh, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. It is only by the word of God that one is brought to saving faith. And... Uh, it's a mystery. We can't explain it. But God has promised to work through his word to send his Holy Spirit through it to give saving faith, which clings to the words and promises of God. And that's continually nourished throughout all of our lives by the continually 
continual preaching of God's word and receiving his sacraments. In verse 23, Pastor, um, and I guess it really starts in verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek, seek wisdom, but we preach, and again, this takes us back to that word of the cross, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. How can the word of God be a powerful word to save and at the same time a stumbling block and foolishness to people? It's the same word. How can it be both? Well, it has to do with whether you have faith that what the word says is true or not. And I don't want to make faith the object of our faith, but rather um, when the Holy Spirit works faith in you, the message of Christ crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world is a great blessing and um, a gospel for our ears to hear. When you don't believe that, uh, you can't help but think how dumb it really sounds. Some guy uh, in the Middle East 2,000 years ago was killed as a criminal, and that's how I'm going to live forever. I mean, it just sounds dumb unless you have the faith that uh, the Holy Spirit works that says this is something that's true and for you. And therein lies the problem. The uh, the Jews who have rejected Christ uh, and his promise um, don't understand the blessings and benefits that it would give. Uh, the wise people of the world who trust in the wisdom of uh, whatever philosophy they might hold to, it sounds foolish and they, they don't have the blessings there. And so it's all about the Holy Spirit working faith that trusts this Word of God. No matter how foolish or silly the Word of God seems, it is true and it is the power of God unto salvation for you. Yet proclaiming the one, we proclaim this one seemingly foolish word, salvation in and through Jesus. Vicar, would you bring this to a close, praying the collect for the fifth Sunday after Trinity? Let us pray. O God, you have prepared for those who love you good things that surpass all understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. On Sunday morning, get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor. Most importantly, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. See you again next week.